Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and you are listening to the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hello everybody, Jazz A's online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today, a series that we simply like to call The Jazz A's Podcast, and it's brought to you in conjunction with Jazz A's Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz A's editors, and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. Today we will be speaking with Jeremy Cohen principal violinist and founder of classical crossover specialists Quartet San Francisco about Raymond Scott Reimagined, an unprecedented collaboration between Quartet San Francisco with Gordon Goodwin, Take Six, and the Raymond Scott Archives. The 14-track collection was executive produced by Cohen and features Goodwin's fresh arrangements of Raymond Scott classics plus an entirely new composition and is enriched by interstitials of Raymond Scott's voice along with spoken word from audio historian Art Schifrin and the great John Williams excerpted from the documentary Deconstructing Dad. Raymond Scott Reimagined is an amazing project showcasing great music and paying tribute to the genius of Raymond Scott and we're delighted to talk more about it with Jeremy Cohen. So fire up at Audio Teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. This is the Jazz Is Podcast. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the Jazz Is Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, and I'm excited to be speaking with you. Uh, we'll be talking about Raymond Scott Reimagined, uh, an amazing project. But first off, you know, I wanted to ask you kind of to stick with the tradition, I guess, of uh, the Jazz Is Podcast, because I like to uh, break the proverbial ice by just asking the artists I speak with to kind of share a memory with me from early childhood of when they realized maybe that's when they fell in love with music. And maybe that's also when, you know, I started thinking that I'd like to become a musician when I grow up. So is there a moment like that for you that kind of sticks out and that you'd like to share with us at this point? Well, I do want to say that I grew up in a family of musicians. Both my parents were singers and um, my, my mom is still with us. She's 96 and she's not singing much, but, but uh, I grew up with two older brothers who are also played instruments. So music was actually part of a normal thing to do in, in our lives. It wasn't, um, it wasn't an extraordinary thing. Like when you have a family that doesn't have a music bass and one of the kids takes up music it's it's a little more of an oddity i suppose that that kid is interested in becoming a musician but for me it was what we did it was a part of our daily life music was but to answer your question more specifically my my parents used to tell me that if i was not feeling well sick or inconsolable the only thing that would calm me down would be to take me into the living room by what was called the hi-fi at that time, which was the beginning of stereo speakers. Uh, so this is, you know, 1960-ish. And plop me down with a blanket and 
I remember holding my blanket over my shoulder and listening to Dave Brubeck's Time Out. And it was the only thing that really brought me down from wherever, you know, whatever of a twist I was in. I would listen to that album, feel the rhythms of it, and just feel the melodic nature of it. And I'm not sure that that's the moment I decided that I was going to be a musician, but it was a, it was, it was a time in my life where I realized that music spoke somehow to my, to my soul, you know, and it, and it brought me a certain kind of peace and it made me happy. Then there's, you know, flash forward to a couple of years later where the violin's a very difficult instrument and it's, there's a lot of struggle to learn to play it, learn the fingerings, positions, get, develop good intonation. And after playing violin about six or seven years, a switch went off where I understood that I was the boss of it and it wasn't the boss of me, that I could speak through it, that I could transfer my voice or some element of my soul by making an effort and playing the violin and transferring music out of it that spoke to people. And I think that that was, that sort of empowered me in a way to find a way to, to reach and touch other humans. Uh, you know, I, I don't have the benefit of, of my age now to, to re understand what was happening at that time. But I, I really felt like it gave me a voice and it made me feel like I could do something. And of course I was the third child of three and I only wanted to be noticed and seen and felt for who, who I was. Cause I had two older brothers that I had to compete for airspace with. So the violin has always been a, a you know, an instrument for me to reach people and also feel val valued, you know, and appreciated. And so that gift is my, probably my earliest experience was that sensation of the kind of calm and peacefulness that actually Dave Brubeck offered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when you talk about uh, you realizing that, I think you put it as being in control of the instrument rather than the instrument controlling you, something along those lines. Do you refer to improvisation and, and of course, jazz? This was probably pre what you would, you know, call improvisation. Now it wasn't about scales, language, or, you know, chords or playing over a tune. It was literally about manifesting the, the idea of a music in my head. I suppose it was the beginning of uh, uh, improvisation in a sense, because improvisation is an inner voice that speaks through the instrument. And it was a recognition of that inner voice and my ability to create a process that could use that instrument as the, the voice that reflected my inside voice. I think that's why singers are the biggest stars in the world, um, you know, our biggest uh, celebrities are singers and it's because there's no instrument being, it's not being transferred through a piano. It's not being transferred through a violin, a trumpet. It's the immediacy of the human voice and the spirit that's behind it that hits and splashes with humanity that hears it. Where us, for us, for instrumentalists, it has, there's so much uh, also, you know, technique and craft of learning how to handle the instrument and have it become a natural speaking voice for us. But there's a step in between the initial 
idea and the music that's being put out through the instrument. And, and also, you know, there's an interesting thing that happens when even if you are good at playing the instrument, then maybe you have to discover your own voice, I guess, you know, going back to expressing yourself in your own honest way. Yeah. And it makes the, uh, you have to understand how the instrument is an extension of your body. You know, all, we have to learn how, what it feels like to play well. I would say that to all my violin students, good violin playing feels like something. It's not just something you manifest technically, but it's got to be a, a universal sort of body experience, weight, balance, gravity, you know, all these things play in to what ultimately becomes our voice through our instrument. You know, certainly uh, the violin has a history in jazz. Uh, you know, there have been great interpreters throughout history, but You know, it's not necessarily the first instrument one thinks of when they think of jazz. <laughs> that's uh, that's always uh, that always seems to be the case. So, what about this uh, fusion of the violin and the jazz? Uh, you know, continues to inspire you to this day. I'd, I'd have to say that I came to jazz because I got kicked to the back of the violin section for sitting with my legs crossed, and I got no really angry at the music teacher, and I quit the orchestra and I joined the jazz band and I started playing trombone and string bass. Oh wow! And It was the experience in high school or the, between junior high and high school of playing in a big band that got me feeling the sensation, the physical sensations of swinging and, you know, jazz rhythms that started to fire my passion for that voice. Well, I never got very good at trombone or bass, but I did take that back to the violin, which, as you say, is not typically the instrument that people think of immediately as um, as a jazz instrument. And that is um, a drawback and it's also an advantage. The public at large not thinking of a violin because of the history of the violin and the formal understanding of the, the, the music that the violin has been largely associated with the world of classical music, it doesn't become an obvious jazz voice until it gets into the hands of somebody like Jean-Luc Ponty or Zbigniew Seifert or, or, you know, Jerry Goodman or Papa John Creech or Eddie South or Joe Venuti or Stefan Grappelli. All of a sudden, you and or Johnny Frigo or I excuse Regina Carter. You know, once you start hearing the voice of the human translated through the instrument, it should become a no-brainer like any other instrument. But I think that's societal that people think of the saxophone because the development of the saxophone was in its biggest velocity when jazz was emerging. I mean, maybe a little bit before, but I mean, the violin came around 300 years ago. It's associated with Baroque and classical music, but there are so many applications outside of the traditional institutional Baroque classical and, and uh, historical references for violin that these groundbreaking voices that prove otherwise are the only uh, the only things that a fiddle player like me has to draw on. I heard Sid Page playing with Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. I don't know if you know that band in particular, but 
it lit me up. You know, it it uh, the I, I thought, wow, the violin can can do this. Like I don't have to wonder. And so it gave me the the wherewithal to pursue it. And while I was pursuing my classical background, I sh- I'm pretty sure I've diverted off from what the nature of your specific question was. But no, but it was an excellent somebody, answer. <laughs> you hear somebody do it with authenticity; it could be on a saw or an oboe. Yeah. And as long as the, it speaks the language and and understands and is truly improvising, and we sense that you know as we sit there and observe it, then it's. It's all good. I've had to break down the walls, and uh, I have had to assume that there are no walls between yeah. genres, and that's how I've survived. I, I because everybody goes back to yes, but this, yes, but that, yes, but the violin, yes, but the I'm um, influenced by your traditional thinking about the violin because it's it doesn't it doesn't seem like typically a jazz instrument until it's typically played with a burning jazz solo and then game on. Yeah. I always find the people who say yes and more interesting anyways. <laughs> I tried not to say but too much because you end up with a very big but. <laughs> exactly. You know? There you go. But no, speaking of <laughs> groundbreaking voices, uh, when you were saying that, I was thinking people have been uh, kind of redefining their instruments all the time. Uh, the latest recording uh, the latest project of yours, uh, recently released, is called Raymond Scott Reimagined. Now, I'm a big fan of Raymond Scott, uh, an incredible musician, jazz musician, but also, mus- you know, other styles and genres. Truthfully, a pioneer of so many techniques and even an inventor of instruments and sounds. Uh, amazing. But I wanted to ask you in your own words and opinion even, uh, who was Raymond Scott? What is it that makes him such an important artist and, and you know, an artist that people should know too? And when is it that you personally discovered him? I discovered him before I discovered him, obviously. And you're going to, you know, you hear this all the time with Raymond Scott. The truth is, it's part, part of my child, the fabric of my childhood. It's one of the things I, I um, Quartet San Francisco is about the music of our lifetime. And frankly, as a kid growing up, I would come home from school and I would watch Looney Tunes, Mary Medley's, Mel- Mel- uh, the Warner Brothers cartoons and embedded in those soundtracks, along with great grand opera and symphonic and, you know, orchestral instruments was the music of Raymond Scott, which has a certain impact be on the life of a young kid because it gives a certain kind of a- animation to emotions, to joy, to anger, to anticipation, to, uh, it gave a soundtrack. It put musical accompaniment to the things that were happening in the cartoons. And this, ultimately became referenced in all parts of my life. The fact that I watch cartoons, probably every kid that grew up in the era that I grew up in watched cartoons. But to hear the music of Powerhouse when Daffy Duck or Elmer Fudd were extraordinarily mad at Bugs Bunny, this musical theme became, you know, a part of my daily life. So... You know, the music of Raymond Scott is sort of planted in my psyche as 
an animation of human emotions in certain instances. So there's a natural understanding of that music that, you know, references aspects of my daily life. So my first exposure to Raymond Scott, to answer your question, was watching the Warner Brothers cartoons. The, the rediscovering of Raymond Scott happened much later in probably 1996 or 95. I was playing in a show called Forever Tango with an all Argentine cast, pure tango. Everybody in the orchestra, with the exception of me and maybe one other person, were from Buenos Aires. And the stagehand from San Francisco, buddy of mine, Peter, was pushing a broom across the stage, pulls a CD out of his pocket and says, hey, have you heard this? And it was a Raymond Scott album. And uh, no, I took it from him, said thanks, brought it home, put it on and listened to it. And it was 15 Raymond Scott compositions who, by the way, never wrote a note for cartoons. His music was used by Warner Brothers, but he never wrote a single note to accompany an animated character. Anyway, Peter gave me the Reckless Nights Raymond Scott album. I sat and listened to it, and I was immediately transformed. I was sort of sucked into it because the composition, the clarity of the voices, Within the composition, what the sax player was playing, the piano part, Johnny Williams' drum part, the sax, they were all doing uniquely individual parts of the piece that were quite different from each other in nature. And the combination of them together was this brilliant piece of music. It was a construction, but it was also musical and it had emotion and animation to it. You know, we can get into all the details how Raymond Scott made all that happen because that stuff is fascinating too. But it immediately spoke to me because I was playing a lot of chamber music at that time and I was starting a string quartet, what eventually became Quartet San Francisco. And that stuff spoke to me just as clearly and crisply as a Haydn quartet, a Mozart quartet, Brahms quartets. The, the strength of composition and the clarity of the voices, like I said, sucked me in and I fell in love with it and I wanted to be able to do it. As a violin player, nothing existed that was purchasable. And it forced my hand in a sense, in a good way, to start arranging and writing so that I could do this stuff because this was my sandbox. Raymond Scott's created a, a whole uniquely American branded sound, you know, a child of a European immigrant, Gershwin, Raymond Scott, so, so, so many of the composers of that era were writing American music. And it really felt like something as a born in USA, you know, born in California kid, I could feel like I was doing something that was our, my tradition and not the tradition of classical and, and uh, romantic and classical music. Mm-hmm. 
The track you are hearing is from Raymond Scott Reimagined, a new project available now on Violin Jazz Recordings that is a celebration of the great Raymond Scott and an unprecedented collaboration between the Quartet San Francisco, Gordon Goodwin and Take Six, as well as the Raymond Scott Archive. We'll talk more about this fascinating project in a moment, but first... I wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz's Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz's editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz's, Jazz's.com and these Jazz's podcasts. Go to Jazz's.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. But for now, back to our conversation with Jeremy Cohen. We talked about uh, how you discovered him or re- and then rediscovered him, but in this project, you reimagine him. Uh, so what does that process entail? Well, giving it a voice for string quartet and putting a few of the tunes on my previous albums, World Chamber Music and the original Quartet San Francisco Music, we got in the radar of the Raymond Scott family who really liked the stuff that we were doing. I always had a soft spot for Raymond Scott's music. It was always... You know, I felt like it was mine, in a sense, as a musician in, in my, from my lifetime. And I always wanted to do a full Raymond Scott project. The, that was a seed that was planted in the back of my head. You know, we had three or four or five Raymond Scott tunes on an album, but I really felt like we hadn't done it justice. So I did these arrangements. They came out on our albums. We got noticed. They got Grammy nominations. You know, we were we were some somewhere with it, and the world was looking. I felt like the Grammy nominations represented that somebody, the world, from somebody from the outside world was looking at what we were doing and giving it a certain kind of recognition and merit. And that, of course, as the third son, you know, really felt like I was seeing light that people were recognizing the value of what we were doing. Then I heard Gordon Goodwin. And I fell in love with Gordon's music. And it turns out Gordon and I have a history because we were both in L.A. at the same time. And I had worked with him before I actually got to know him. But I fell in love with the, I'll fast forward and save you the details of all of that. But we had worked together in Los Angeles in the 80s. I uh, came across him at uh, during the Grammys, one of the Grammy uh, celebrations that we were nominated for. And fell in love with his music and his writing and the strength of his writing and the the breadth of his understanding as an arranger and as a composer that that he would he would safeguard I love the swinging nature of the big band Gordon's a master writer and I was always trying to noodle some way to get me the violin player or my string quartet quartet San Francisco in the radar of Gordon Goodwin's big band and uh, eventually when I woke up, sometimes I just wake up w- one day and I fought all the aspects of something over. I got up one day and said, that's it, I'm doing a Raymond Scott project. And I called up Raymond Scott's son, Stan, who did this uh, documentary film. And I said, you know what? I think we're going to go for it. I really want to do an all Raymond Scott album. And I know this guy who's a master writer and arranger, Gordon Goodwin. And I'm in love with his music. And I think that the the uh, that's the requirement. You have to be in love with it because this is these are projects of passion. And I I ended up pitching it to Gordon, and Gordon 
thought it was a great idea. And I've been pinching myself and walking on air ever since because the material that Gordon has created for this album so far transcends just this thing that we do. It's It digs deep for both of us in our history and our knowledge of music, a passion for arranging, for finding the best possible players we can. You know, it sort of inspired both of us to go to the best place we could, to Skywalker Ranch, to record the big band, to, to, Ed Gordon, I think, pushed the envelope even for his, as much of a master writer and arranger as he is. I think he felt the specialness of this project and created even more incredible arrangements. And I think the musicians inhabited the music in a way that gives this project an incredible amount of air and elevation. It's these are there's so many people that put so much skin in the game as the producer of the project. I can't even express how exciting the end result of this Raymond Scott reimagined music is we we shot for the moon and I I really feel like we achieved it and I, I can't look back and say I kind of wish I did something a whole lot better than it's done on this in this project so it'll have to speak for itself once it gets out there and really hits the world and people start hearing it but I think they will sense that you can't put that into words the music just is so exciting and elevating to hear this these first class players putting in all, so much passion in their performance is uh hard to put words to but easy to feel yeah that's an amazing reimagination a great collaboration take six in there as well uh contributes so much to the project and then also interesting touch uh you know, I found it really interesting that throughout the album, there are these shorter tracks, I guess, here or there. Essentially, they're spoken word parts. Uh, some of them recordings of Raymond Scott's voice, his own voice, talking about the art of making music and his own music and so on. And others are contributions, admirers, historians. What kind of prompted this idea, you know, to enhance listening experience with these, with these moments scattered throughout the duration of this recording? Well, in, in researching the material, uh, we re-referenced the documentary film by Raymond Scott's son. I gave sent the film to Gordon. And also we had access to the Raymond Scott archives. So um, extended radio interviews where Raymond Scott talks for an hour, you know, about stuff. And Gordon just came to me at one point and he said, you know, I think this project, it would warrant the idea of adding some what we called interstitials short these short bits that you're referencing in between some tracks of Raymond Scott explaining his process explaining what he is what he aspired to do just to bring this whole thing together with the music uh, Gordon pitched it to me and we had access to all this great material and I, you know, as the executive producer, I had to, I had to see it, feel it and, and buy into it. But with Gordon giving so much of himself to this project, um, where I might have been a little bit hesitant to put spoken word on an album, 
it ultimately made perfect sense, just choosing the right bits to give a, an air of authenticity. You know, we wanted to tie this together because this is part of the legacy of the music of Raymond Scott. We really even got uh, Johnny Williams, Raymond Scott's drummer's cowbell, because I wanted uh, Don Williams, uh, uh, Johnny Williams' son, and John Williams' brother uh, is a percussionist, played timpani on Twilight and Turkey and Tom Toms. And I said, hey, do you have any piece of your dad's drum set that we can put on the record? Because it would be really awesome to have Johnny Williams' cowbell because it was on the original Raymond Scott recordings. I, so I was like sensing the, the whole DNA of including Raymond Scott, his voice, Johnny Williams' cowbell, Gordon's writing and his understanding of the music of Raymond Scott. This is, uh, uh, you know, it became so much more than just the tunes with the interstitials. We actually have John Williams' voice uh, in one of the interstitials talking about his dad being a part of the Raymond Scott Quintet. You know, John Williams grew up with this music. Go figure. Speaking of the track list itself, the program, you know, it's always uh, it's always interesting to get into the the, the choice, the specific choices that were made and kind of selecting whatever actually made it on the record. And when you talk about a musician like Raymond Scott, whose, you know, legacy and recordings are just so, you know, there's, there's just so much there that you could choose. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it must have been a particularly arduous task, but I did want to focus on one track that I found. You know, the story of which I found uh, interesting because we talked about reimagining Raymond Scott talked about discovering Raymond Scott first and now there's something else that happens in Cutie and the Dragon because you know the way I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong this is a brand new composition but it derives from an unfinished sketch by Scott himself which to me when I read that when I found that out it's almost like you're really interacting with them you know it's you're breaking <laughs> that barrier of time and space and whatever and you're actually in a sense collaborating with scott in a very very direct way on a new piece now what was the creative process in completing this particular composition what happened was uh, uh quartet san francisco was playing raymond scott fest in in los angeles and raymond scott's daughter deb came to me and said you know there's a there's a piece that Raymond wrote with my daughter, Catherine. She was a violist and a student at Interlochen, and she came home for the summer, and Grandpa Raymond came over. And there's a picture of this meeting in their living room on the album, in the, in the liner notes. And they sat down, and they did this sketch that you referred to. And uh, Grandpa went home and the sketch ended up in a box for over 40 years and it never became any finished Raymond Scott piece. Deb showed it to me. I think Erwin Chusid had also mentioned that there were a couple of things that had not yet been published. Erwin Chusid is uh, one of the main people in the Raymond Scott archives and he's a DJ on the East Coast who knows and produced the Reckless Nights album. They handed me this piece of paper and it really had uh, a handwritten notes, sketches really, as described. And at one point, I think I wised up and, and thought, you know, well, I could, I could do a, a piece based on this, but really the smarter thing to do would be to put it in the hands of a skilled composer or arranger. So I, 
I, I asked the family if I could give it to Gordon. And when I told them that Gordon was involved on the project, they went and listened up to his material and they said, amazing. Yes, please go ahead and share the piece with Gordon. Gordon took it and absorbed it and created a, a, a finished piece based on this, this sketch that Raymond Scott wrote with his granddaughter. And it was, uh, you know, Gordon talks about it uh, a little bit on in, in, in when we play this stuff live. And he said, it's the honor of my lifetime to, to take this composer that I regard so highly and get, be handed a sketch and be asked to complete the composition. So the composition Cutie and the Dragon is now a Raymond Scott and Gordon Goodwin composition. And Gordon plants himself in the in the legacy of the music of Raymond Scott by creating this over-the-top, incredible composition using elements of Raymond Scott's music. And Gordon just wrote with full passion and skill and created Cutie and the Dragon. And frankly, uh, it's interesting to see how, you know, if in any other circumstance, this would be the lead item about the record is that there's a new Raymond Scott composition out there in the world. But the whole project has been so amazing and there's so many aspects of it that this has has become only one of them. But really, it's uh, I, I hope that it finds its way firmly into the into the oeuvre of, of the of the world of Raymond Scott compositions because it's a new one. There hasn't been a new one in over 40 years. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really incredible. It's, it's uh, yeah. It it's hard for me to pull up the right words to to say how exciting and pleasing it is to hear the piece. It's fantastic co composition of Gordon Goodwin and Raymond Scott. So kudos to Gordon. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic album. Uh, but of course, I'm sure, and you know, I I know that there are plans of uh, of actually performing it live. It has been performed live. There's exciting excitement at the time of recording about uh, the LA debut of Raymond Scott reimagined uh, live. Can you tell me more about you know what's going to happen and whether there are plans for more shows coming up soon that people uh, should uh, be aware of? Yes. We'll be playing uh, next month in Los Angeles uh, on September 16th at the Right Off Room. And it's interesting. This is an album that has over 30 players on it. And there are, uh, and much of it was performed during, uh, much of it was created during COVID years. And so uh, we had some rare opportunities to do the big band and the string quartet live at Skywalker. Parts, other parts of the album were put together from various different locations and produced. But all of the album is performable live. And uh, one of the things that we've I've done uh, in the recording process was created stems, which means that we can do various sized performances of it. Of course, we want to build up to the whole 22 big band and string quartet or the 28 version with take six 28 musicians on stage but uh right now we are able to do it as a string quartet 
We'll be doing it as a 10-piece with, with members of Gordon Goodwin's Fat Band and some of our tracks in September. And I am uh, working on a performance that includes live musicians on stage, uh, projections from the film, Raymond Scott talking, and uh, a live performance of the album. So we'll be doing the 10-piece version of it on in September, and I'm working on a larger production, which we hope to interest venues that can support such a large size uh, uh, performance with so many players on stage. But there's a lot of logistics that go into getting all those bodies in one place and getting on a stage and performing it in front of an audience. So uh, stay posted. Stay in tune, uh, uh, Quartet San Francisco and Gordon Goodman's Big Fat Band, um, and look for performances of it down the road next season. What's the best way for people to keep up? Is there uh, any online, uh, you know, social media website that people can kind of check and, and see if there's any updates? Well, at QuartetSanFrancisco.com, we are putting up a page you, uh, on the album itself. We have a lot of albums. Uh, we've done seven or eight already, but we, there's so much interest right now in the Raymond Scott album and the release and the project itself that we're building a web page with all the information, including you know art and images from the album and all the data of the projects that we're working on that are associated with Raymond Scott Reimagined. It's uh, very interesting because it's, it's growing its own set of legs and wings and uh, we're doing everything we can to keep up with the interest in it, but there's a lot to do, but go to quartetsanfrancisco.com and eventually I think we'll build, uh, eventually uh, sooner than later, we'll build a Raymond Scott reimagined webpage where you can find all kinds of data, links to all sorts of other Raymond Scott uh, web pages and information. By the way, RaymondScott.net is uh, a fabulous source of all things Raymond Scott. That is the uh, Raymond Scott archive. And they share so much of what they have that anybody that's a huge Raymond Scott fan like yourself could spend hours there. RaymondScott.net. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, it's been fascinating speaking with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. you enjoyed my conversation with Jeremy Cohen and I remind you that Raymond Scott Reimagined is available now on Violin Jazz Recordings. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out Jazz A's Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzays.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. And as music from Raymond Scott Reimagined plays us out, I remind you to keep an eye out for more Jazz Ace podcasts, our print magazine and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzace.com. 
And if you like what you see, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikucci signing off. See you soon.